Yes, people, it is time for a brand new episode of Echo Chamber. And this week we bring in you another two-parter. Yeah, just man, so many great conversations starting off this year. It's good things, people, good things. But as we do, we're going to start off with the UK box office top 10, right? We're going to look at those films doing their thing for the weekend of the 16th to the 18th of February. So at number 10, it is All of Us Strangers, the new one from Andrew Haig, which he also wrote, adapted of a Tashi Yamanda film starring Andrew Scott, Paul Maskell, Carter John Groot, Jamie Bell, Claire Foy, Amy Trader, um, Cameron Ashcott, right? At number nine, it's Anyone But You, right? This is the um, latest rom-com from Will Gluck who also wrote it along with Elana Wolpert, starring Sydney Sweeney, Glenn Powell, Alexandra Shipp, Darren Barnett, Brian Brown, Joe Davidson. And so at number eight, we've got Pepper's Cinema Party. Have no clue what this is. All I know, it's directed by Andrea Tran, and we've got a voice cast of Moina Banks, Orlando Bloom, Tallulah Cornborough, Robin Yule, Nell um, Marcoska, Katy Perry, Richard Riding, Amil Bear Smith, Vincent Ward, and Lily Snowden Fine. So at number seven, we have Mean Girls. That is correct. This is from Samantha Jane and Arturo Perez Jr., starring Agora Rice, John Hamm, Renee Rapp, Tina Fey, Jenna Fisher, Ashley Park, Alou Kavala. Right, so at number six, we got The Iron Claw. We looked at this couple weeks back, or it might have been last week. I lose track, right? It was written and directed by Sean Durkin. It's based on a true, well, true events. This actually happened, right? And it was, in the real life, it was even worse, right? Starring Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, Holt McCorney, Mira Tierney, Grady Wilson, Valentina Newcomer, Scott Inns, Charo Guerrero Jr., Garrett Hammond, Stanley Simons, Michael Horney. So that means our number five film of the week. We're in the top five, baby. It is Wonka. This is the new one from Paul King, which he co-wrote with Simon Farnbury, starring Timothy Chalamet, Olivia Coleman, Hugh Grant, 
Patterson, Joseph, Sally Hawkins, Rowan Atkinson, Keegan, Michael Key, Matthew Barnett. All right, so at number four, we got Argyle. All right, Matthew Vaughan's new joint, which was written by Jason Fuchs. Starring Sophia Botello, Henry Caval, Dua Lupa, Bryce Dallas Howard, Arena Dabus, Sam Rockwell, John Cena, Samuel Jackson, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, right? Rob Delaney. There's a lot of motherfucking people up in this. At number three, it is Madam Webb. S.J. Clarkson directs. It's written by Matt Sazaman, Burke Sharples, and Claire Parker. Starring Sidney Sweeney, Isabel Massad, Dakota Johnson, Emma Roberts, um, Celeste O'Connor, Adam Scott, Jill Hennessy, Zuzia Mamet, Tahar Rahim, Mike Epps, Michael Mavesti, Dennis Daniels, right? At number two, we got Migration, directed by Gulu Humzi and Benjamin Renner. Renner co-write, co-write with Mike White. And we got the voice cast of Camille Numanjani, Trezzy Gazelle, Elizabeth Banks, Casper Jennings, Isabel Massad, Danny DeVito, Carol Kane, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, David Mitchell. So at number one, yo, it is Bob Marley, One Love. I might see this at the weekend, people, so I might have a review for you next week. All right, Ronaldo Marcus Green directs. It's written by Zach Balin, Frank E. Flowers, and Terence White. We got Kingsley Benadir, James Norton, Lashash, Lashana Lynch, Michael Gandalfini, Michael Ward, Sam Palado, Anthony Welsh, Nadine Marshall, Umi Myers, Tossin Cole, Naomi Cowan, all doing their thing so that is the top 10 people let us now get into this week's reviews sit back let's go let's start things off with mission impossible dead reckoning Okay, so finally got round to watching Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, because it's no longer part one, right? It's just Dead Reckoning. So yet again, Christopher McQuarrie is back directing. He co-wrote the film with Eric Jenderson. Um, it is produced by to do McQuarrie um along with Tom Cruise right it's executive produced by Susan E Novick Don Granger Tommy Gormley Dana Goldberg David Ellison and Chris Brooke it is 
is co-produced by Marco Valerio Puggini, associate produced by Gina Hallas, and line produced by Per Henry Borsch. Lorne Balf handles the music, Fraser Taggart cinematography, Eddie Hamilton edits the piece, Mindy Marin was on casting, Gary Freeman production design, David Alday, Ian Bunting, Anthony Karen Delion, Gavin Fitch, Phil Sims, Dave Weir, and Cecilia Van Stratton were art direction. Set decoration is Raffaella Giaventi. Jill Taylor handled costume design. So the cast. Well, Tom Cruise is back as Ethan Hawke. Right. Um, Grace is played by Hayley Atwell. Uh, Benji Dunn is Simon Pegg. Lufa Stickle is Vin Rains. Izili Foust is Rebecca Ferguson. The White Widow is played by Vanessa Kirby. Um, her henchman partner is Gabrielle, played by Isa Morales. Um, Kitteridge is back. Played by Henry Chesney. Um, Paris is played by Pom Clemtief. Right. Briggs is played by Shay Wingham. D Gas is Greg Tarzan Davis. Zola is played by Frederick Schmidt. Marie is Mariella Garriga. Den Linger is Harry Ells. Uh, who else do we have? Indy uh, Zulu254 is Alex James Phelps. That's probably it. Yeah. I mean, there's a load of people up in this, man. There's a load of people. So let's go with what it's about. Ethan Hunt and the IMF team must track down a terrifying new weapon that threatens all of humanity if it falls into the wrong hands. With control of the future and the fate of the world at stake, a deadly race around the globe begins, confronted by a mysterious, all-powerful enemy, the Entity. Ethan is forced to consider that nothing can matter more than the mission, not even the lives of those he cares about the most. I mean, that's not true at all, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because essentially, on any mission, everyone's at risk, right? Everyone's at risk, but if you don't do something because of that, then, man, the mission's always going to fail, right? Supposedly, that's what you would think, right? That's what you would think. 
Now, Mercury has written these films and directed since, what, the fifth one? Um, I think that's Ghost Protocol, right? I haven't watched all of these films. I kind of got, but like, the second one irritated me because there was too much of that rip off the face. Like, ah, someone different, you know what I mean? Um, I forget when I went back to them. But, yeah, it may have been the fifth film I, I went back then. And, I mean, this is fine, right? If you love those films, this is probably fine. Like, I did like it. They did a little hunt for Red October at the beginning because we're on a Russian sub. And there was subtitles. But it then went to English. Right, because I think mean, you know you establish, okay, these aren't English-speaking people, and then you're just like, all right, let's just make it easy. So then they went to me, and I like that's boy because Russian speak kind of it's not a slow language, so trying to you know do those subtitles is yeah, it wouldn't have been fun. So we have all of this going on, right? But at that point. I think you you kind of be like, oh, there's some AI shit, right? Which is like, okay, it's a little mm, like so many films now. AI is the bad guy, and it's, it's always a little bit, ah, really. But it's not to say it can't be exciting and fun, you know. I think at the beginning. Also, we get the whole, you know, Ethan, this is the mission, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, oh, in this box, it's a reminder of where you came from, right? Why you work for us and the mistakes and the things that you did, which, why, right? I mean, I, I don't know what the reason for that was. You know what I mean? That's that that seemed a little bit odd. Because look, ask him to do a mission, you he, he does the mission. You know what I mean? So it's just like I didn't really the only reason for the beginning bit seemed so you could bring someone back. Right? That that was it. There didn't seem any other point of that, which then just makes it a bit forced, you know what I mean? Look, we've got a load of action here. A load of action. You know, this was one of the most expensive films ever made, which really does seem, like, insane, right? Kind of seems insane. Because you're just like, well, wait. You spent 291 mil? On this film? Woo! Why? And you do think a lot of that is these long set pieces, these stunts, right? All the effects that are needed to make these stunts work. Like the, the car chase. Do we need that car chase? I don't know what... You know, I mean, I guess, look, if you like cars, 
and and all of that kind of thing. I'm sure it works for you, but story-wise, I don't really feel it brings anything, you know, because it's just like, ah, we nearly crashed, but we didn't. Ah, you know, we survived this. Look, we've gone down this alleyway. We're going downstairs. How crazy. Is it needed? I don't know. I don't think it is. Right. And so we have a lot of those scenes, a lot of these things like fighting on top of a train. There's a lot of that. Which, all fine. But when you think about the characters involved, you know what I mean? You've got a character who's never done this kind of shit before. Never done it before. So you think, okay, standing on top of a moving thing, not the easiest, not the fucking easiest, right? I've never stood on a moving train, people, but I just remember being on top of a, on a um, ferry, right? On a ferry. So, you know, like, it's not, I don't think it's too crazy, but there was a storm. And so it's moving about and people are all over the place. That's a ferry. So what do you think a fucking moving high-speed train would be like? So you've got the fighting on top, the throwing, the kicking, the dodging punches, just all of this kind of jam. Yeah, that's difficult. That's pretty impossible, really. Now, have a newbie do it, that's not happening. That's not, it's just not happening, right? You're just thinking, come on now, that's crazy. People going to be dead, right? So you've got a lot of that. Just the, the whole thing about, oh, some people might die, and oh, who can I protect, and blah, blah, blah. There's, there's something that goes down, right? And this person is constantly stealing. Constantly. Like, leave. at one point, they leave Ethan for dead. Actually, a couple of times. Right? A couple of times. Even though he has saved them. Right? Saved them. Showed he's there to try and protect them, get them out of trouble. And the other people are not. So it's just like, okay, so why would you constantly be trusting this person when you know they're a liability, right? There's just things like that in the film that don't necessarily make any sense if you're on this high mission. You know what I mean? Like, look, the world's at stake. And you keep on trying to help this person who is just an idiot, right? An inexperienced idiot who keeps, for whatever reason, doing things to put themselves in peril. And you're just baffled, right? You're fighting against AI. You know right, they can fuck with the computers and all of this kind of jam. But you still do things where you're just like, okay, so AI could take over with this. 
right? So there's there's a lot of things story wise which you just think this doesn't necessarily make sense for these people in this situation, right? It is oh what two hours and forty certain minutes, so it's a long film. It's a long film, and you just feel didn't necessarily need to be this long. There's a load of stuff that, does this need to be here? Right? Because you've got all of these people chasing him, the police, you know, the police and all of that. And it's just, it, it, you want to enjoy it, right? You want to enjoy it. I think a good action film is great. And also where you don't have to think too much. You can throw it on, you know what I mean? And just immerse yourself in this craziness. And it doesn't have to be realistic necessarily. But when you keep on doing things that make no sense, right? Or when you think about the predicament people were in, you're just like, wait, why would you do that? Why would you do that thing? It it does then start to get just a bit frustrating. A bit frustrating. Like the acting is all fine. The acting, you know, it's not terrible or anything like that. But it's just a bit. Like it's not winning awards. We're not winning awards here, people. You know, like things could be better. Like, you know, is we get that thing where people is it just reminds me of like the Bronte sisters and all of that, right? Jade Austin. Um, because in those books, he'd be like, I think I'm tired with the world, I will now die. And you're just like, well, you, you don't you don't know the moment you're going to die, right? You can't craft a sentence perfectly knowing, okay, the minute I say the last word, that's when I die. I've got that amount of time. You don't know, right? You could be like, I need to tell you, dead, right? You don't know, but everyone's always got something to say, their last words, and they get them all out before they die. You just think, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Oh man. Look, it's not terrible. It's just, I just don't think it's as strong as it could be. It feels like there's a lot of filler here, right? A lot of filler, a lot of stuff just to get to where we are at the end, right? There's a lot of situations where, oh, that's convenient, right? That you landed in that spot that you crashed through at that moment, you know what I mean, that you appear at that, you know, there's a lot of that, there's a lot of that, right, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where they go, right, because they there's still things to find, right, they still need to stop the entity, so it'd be like, okay, so how, where do we go now? Where are we getting to this point? 
You know, how long will the film be? Because I don't know if I want another two hour, 40 minute feature, right? I don't know if I want more high speed, long chases or top of train for, I don't know. So yeah, I'm curious to see what happens next. I'm not excited, right? I'm not waiting with bated breath, but let's just see. I'm hoping that the next one's going to be like, boom, so good, right? And you'd be like, okay, yeah, they ended it well. They ended it well. But I will say, if you enjoyed the previous Mission Impossible films and um, the Fast and the Furious, if those are your jam. You will like this, I imagine. I, I, I was, there's a bit in the film towards the beginning when Kitteridge is talking. It's like, oh yeah, definitely IMF. And someone's like, what does that mean? Impossible, impossible mission force. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like I'd forgotten. Like. <laughs> That's what that was, right? I, I forgot. And when they say it out loud, it's just like, ah, shit, this is so fucking goofy. <laughs> ah, shit. Right? But yeah, <laughs> Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. It's on Now TV. It's been on VOD for a minute, right? So if you haven't seen it and you feel it's for you, go check it out. We've then got the first of our shutter joints. It is suitable flesh. Okay, people, we um yeah, finally got round to suitable flesh. This is the new film from director Joe Lynch, and it is written by Dennis um Pal Pali, Pali, P A O L I, Pauli, Dennis Pauli. Ah, yes, apologies, Dennis. It is produced by Barbara Crumpton, Bob Portal, and Indapal Singh. It's executive produced by Samuel Zimmerman, Brian Usner. Mark Ward, James Norrie, Rick Moore, Joe Lynch, Nina Kolakuri, and Emily Gotto. It is co-produced by Kim Barnard and Morgan Peter Brown. Associate produced by David Guglielmo and Rebecca Howard. And it is line produced by Joe Wicker. Steve Moore handles the music. David Matthews is on cinematography. While Jack N. Gracie edits the piece. David Gulamomi and Tracy Kilpatrick took care of casting. Lily Boyles is production design. Art direction is Sarah Oliver. 
set decoration is Dayton Douglas with Yvonne Reddy on costume design. Hair and makeup, we've got Amanda Bourne, Amy Kim, and Greg McGoogle. Um, they special effects as well. So our cast, Dr. Elizabeth Derby is played by Heather Graham. Her husband, Edward, is played by Jonathan Schkitsch. Her best friend, uh, Dr. Daniela Upton, is played by Barbara Crompton. Um, we've then got Asa Waite, played by Judah Lewis. His father, Ephraim Waite, is played by Bruce Davison. Um, who else? We've got Professor Fisk is played by Brett Newton. Detective Ledger is played by J.D. Evermore. His partner, Officer Huxley, is played by Giovanni Cruz. We've got Mace Jr. played by Hunter Womack. Susan played by Matt-Ann Mahoney. Um, Crawley is played by Chris McKenna. The Pathologist is played by Graham Skipper. Um, doo -doo -doo. The Nurse is played by Kim Barnard. Uh, we've got Dave the Orderly, played by Jonah Ray. And Ray the Orderly, played by Joe Lynch. And Drake Malone is a resident. Right, so the gist of... Um, yeah. The gist of the story is a, a, a psychiatrist becomes obsessed with one of her young patients who, has, who she later discovers is linked to an ancient curse. Boy. Now, this is based on a H.P. Lovecraft short story, right, from 1937, The Thing on the doorstep, right? So, um, yeah, I guess if you're a big fan of H.P. Lovecraft, you may very well recognize what's happening in this. I haven't read the book myself, so I don't know what's been changed and, you know, embellished and all of that kind of jazz. Now, I guess it like framing it around right, psychiatrics and all of that, it, it definitely adds this spin to the story, right? Because if someone's inhabiting a body, but you're a psychologist, and so then it's just like, oh, are you projecting? Ah, oh, could this be residuals from this? Could this, like, it makes it interesting, right? And we start the story off kind of towards the end, and then we walk backwards. So there's certain things that you hear and you're a bit like, huh, what does that mean? What's going on? And then it all becomes clear as the story then unfolds as it were, you know? Which, that's interesting. That, yeah, I thought, okay, all right, let's see where it goes, you know? I think with this one, now, if you can dispend your rational mind, right? What we know about hospitals, doctors, police, all of that. If you can suspend all of that 
you're gonna have a completely different experience of this film, right? Because, uh, like, the issue for me was just seeing all of these things, and you're just like, wait, but that would never happen. Wait, no one's gonna do that. Why would someone do that? Like, what? Huh? What? Wait, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? There was a load of stuff that just you're just like, hmm. I'm not sure about this, right? Now, I will say, the possession was pretty decent. Like, the whole character shifts and all of that kind of stuff. That was done, That was handled pretty well, right? You know, the person... Because, you know, we're seeing an actor, an actress, or whatever, whatever, having to go, oh, now I'm this and now I'm that, boom, boom. But we're looking at the same person. So it's like the cadence, you know, the tone, just all of these things, the delivery, right? The word, just all of that was delivered very well, which then allowed you to be like, oh, okay, right. Now there, oh, I think that's happened, right? So that, I thought that was very good. Like the problem was, right, just at the, even from jump, Right, the way a patient turns up at the, the office, right, interrupting someone else's session, which, like, firstly, you, they're not getting to that door through reception. That makes no sense, right? Then the other thing is, wait, a doctor isn't going to leave one patient for another patient? Right, that's insane you know so we were just seeing these things that just didn't really add up and so it kind of brought me out of the film you know so like we were getting that then you've got like the situation with the husband right and firstly no doctor is giving you their home number they're not giving you that. And especially, right, so maybe, right, if you've been seeing a doctor for a long last time and there are certain things that are going wrong or medication or just treatment programs and, you know, that kind of, maybe, maybe in that situation. But they're not giving someone completely new who they do not know. They're frigging details. It's just not happening. Right, they'll give a hotline, another, but they're not giving their home motherfucking number, right? So we have that, and then if you get random calls, you would be like, you're not going somewhere on your own. You would call the police, you know, bring someone else, but you're not going on your own. Right, if a door opens, no one's by you're not going inside a place. Like there's just these things where you're just like, no one is doing, no one is doing, and especially a woman. Because when you're thinking about all the things that could go wrong, right? You just have to listen to the news, you know? There's all these documentaries about women being attacked, kidnapped, all of these things. So there is a, a caution, a female 
will take with her in certain situations. Now, obviously, some people are mad reckless, but these are psychologists, doctors. Come on. Come on. So we have this, right? And then we get into the kind of Mulder Scully situation where someone has seen something mad times, but are still like, I don't know what's happening, right? So the, the truth is with these people. They know it. They've been told what to do. And they're just like, oh, what do I, oh, you're just like, oh. So then when we get the end, and I think it's meant to be this, like, oh, you know exactly what's happened. It's, it's, there's no shock. You know what's happened, you know? Which is a real shame. A real shame because I feel it, 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 there's mad potential here. Mad potential. But, yeah, the problem is when you, you, you think about just how things are, the processes, the rationale, it throws you out of the film. That's why I say if you can watch it, without thinking about practicalities, I think you might enjoy it. I think you might vibe with this. You know what I mean? There's a weird thing they do with a camera a couple of times where they just spin it round and round and round. And I'm just like, yo, that's not necessary. That's a that's just like, you're fucking with my eyes, son. Stop it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that was real unnecessary shit right there. But, um, yeah, suitable flesh, man. You can watch it on Shudder or AMC Plus, right? The cast is great. We do have some good acting here, like the acting, the effects, all of that. Really good. It's just, uh, it's just certain things in the script make no sense. Like, people are not going to do that shit. And so, yeah, it's a little frustrating, but suspend your mind, people, you know, and uh, yeah, then, boom, you might enjoy suitable flesh. But as I say, it's on a shutter, it's on AMC Plus. Go fill your boots. <laughs> Okay, and now, people, let's check out Spinster. Yo, so looking for an extra film for the pod, I stumbled upon Spinster, right? It is the, well, it's a film from Andrea Dorfman, written by Jennifer Delel. Uh, it is produced by William Woods, Mark Tetterault, Bill Niven, and Jay Dahl. Executive produced by Mark Gingras and associate produced by Luke Black. Daniel Ledwell handles the music. Cinema blah, cinematography is Stephanie Ann. Anne Weber Biron. Simone Smith edits the piece. While we've got Lisa Yustrom 
Michael Tester, Aaron Hennessy, and Marsha Chelsea. Handling all the casting situations. Michael Pearson was production design. Art direction is Jesse Stewart. Costume design is Sarah Hayden Roy. Hair and makeup, we have Kyla Nichol and Kimmy Duella. Okay, so the cast, we have got Gabby, played by um, Chelsea Peretti. Uh, hold on, let me see if we have better listings. No, we do not. So then Amanda, there's Amanda, who is played by Susan Kent. Um, who is Gabby's sister. Her brother, Alex, is played by David Rossetti. He's got a daughter called Adele, played by Nadia Tonin. Um, who else do we have? Her dad, Jack, is played by Bill Carr. Um... Oh, Nathan, her ex, is played by Eugene Sampang. Right, we've got um, Callie, who is a neighbor, played by Kate Lynch. Um, Will is played by Jonathan Watton. Her chef is played by Taylor Olson. There's Lisa played by Kirsten Oliver-Taylor. Nicholas, played by Joss McDonald. The chiropractor is played by Marcus Simmons. The bride at the start is played by Amy Gurin. Um, there's Blair, played by Kevin Kincaid. Jeremy, played by Fabian Mallinson. Uh, Aiden, played by Matthew Neat. Pia, played by Trina Cochram. Do, do, do. Yeah, that's probably the main, the main lot. Um, I think so. Oh, the chiropractor's receptionist and wife is played by Fritzine Kentor. So the gist of the film is... Uh, Hold on. Uh, are we? Gabby wants desperately to find love. Recently dumped and on the brink of 40. She feels she doesn't matter to anyone. Her best friend is preoccupied with her kids. Oh, that's a friend. I thought it was her sister. Okay. It's her friend. Right. So, um, yes. That means Amanda is a friend, not a sister. Right. Um, her family doesn't get her, and running her own catering business, mostly weddings, serves as a constant reminder of the love that has eluded her. Gabby's greatest fear that she'll end up a lonely and pathetic spinster seems to be her destiny. After a frenzy of dating leaves her exhausted and demoralized, Gabby admits she might never find love and must create a plan B. Gabby begins to build a meaningful and 
connected life. But when a chance romantic encounter with Mr. Wright threatens to uproot her, she realizes the value of her life, even if it doesn't involve romance. So yeah, that, people, is the gist. Now, there is a statement from the writer and the director. So, Andrea Dorfman, the director, said, Spinster, like all of my films, tells a story of someone who isn't always seen. In this case, the single woman. When I was in my 30s, at a time when it seemed all of my friends were partnering up and having kids, to be a single woman often felt so felt as though I was invisible. In making Spinster, it was important to me to tell an honest story, not a fantasy. So instead of giving an, the audience the rom-com ending that they might anticipate, the writer Jennifer Deal defies expectations by beautifully playing with the genre so that it's turned on its ear. Gabby, Spinster's lead, played by talented Chelsea Peretti, becomes seen entirely on her own terms. Peretti's Gabby is played with humour, heart and vulnerability, creating a character we want to champion, inhabiting a story that feels real. Now, Jennifer Deal, the writer, said, I know every strong woman should have moved past the shame and terror of remaining single should have. Wait, terror of remaining single should have. Hmm. That sounds, I'm not sure. Well, anyway, I wish I could have shared Spinster with friends. I watched go through the mid-30s scramble for a mate. Okay, I mean, that doesn't necessarily say a lot. Um, now, with the film, right, I, it's an odd one. I don't know, really, if I liked it or if I didn't like it. And when I say I like it and didn't like it, it's not that it was a terrible film, no. It was just like the, the way it was just constructed. Now... There's, because there's certain things that Andrea says in a statement, right? That the film is shifted on its head at the end and it shows this whole focus. And, and I'm just like, I'm not sure, right? I'm really not sure. And the other crazy thing about it is I feel now there are differences, like because with women, there's the whole pregnancy thing. But when you're a guy and you're single, going to a lot of family things, weddings, and just out when all your friends are have hooked up, it you get those same fucking questions. Be like, oh, how come you haven't met anyone nice? Oh, when are you going to get married? Oh, don't you want kids? Like, you get those same fucking questions. So it's, there is, you know, I think something that everyone can look at a film like this and take something from. Now, when we first meet Gabby at the start, right, she's on her way home. And um, yeah, her boyfriend is 
just being a shit. Now, ending a relationship, you know, it's, it's, it's shitty. I feel to do it on someone's birthday is real shitty. And to, um, you know, because you're fucking up their birthday, man. Now, I've had that. I've had someone really try and derail the birthday. And it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? But also in the manner in which he was going to do it. That's not cool. That's not cool. But, you know, like there was no chemistry between them. So obviously, right, you understand this was not a thing that was ever going to work, right? But after that, it's, it is a little odd because I think we go through this kind of journey of her with her friend, um, her brother, just these weird situations with things that aren't always addressed in a way. Like there was a bit when she's moaning at her friend, being like, oh, you never make time for me and all of this kind of thing. But then her friend does say, yeah, when I was pregnant and stuck at home, you never came to see me, right? And it was just like, oh, yeah, boom, and then moved on. And it's kind of like, I think it's addressing all the all the factors, you know what I mean? Like, look, it can be shitty, but we have to be conscious of ourselves and what we're putting out there, what we are you know what I mean, doing to cultivate a situation, right, an ambiance, as it were, and you can see that she isn't necessarily doing that, because, like, the first interaction we see, um, actually, was a bride coming to, to sort out catering, and, um, that's why I thought Amanda was her sister, but she does have a sister, Right. Uh, so, yeah, this bride and she's like, oh, yeah. And this is why and how we met and blah, blah, blah. Talking about her fiance and all this. And she's just rolling her eyes and being shitty, which. I mean, it wasn't funny. So it's just like if it was funny, you'd be like, OK, OK. But it was just like, yeah. Um, weddings usually end in divorce and blah 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 and all of this stuff. And you're just like, yo, no one's doing that, right? No one's like if so, if the girl had been a complete and utter shithead, right? Was just rude and just you could boom, you can understand. But she she wasn't, so it was a bit. It was a weird. It was a weird way to introduce us to Gabby. In a way, I kind of felt, but and it was a bit forced, right? And there was a there was a few of those moments in the film where you just think some of the dialogue doesn't is a bit forced, right? Some of the moments don't seem like she's at yeah, she's at a friend's house, and a friend has have is having a kind of a gathering it's like some clothes swap thing something like that right and one of her friends is just like oh like doesn't know her but then starts like first of all she seems like she's being nice and then it all goes a bit weird 
but the conversation didn't seem natural. It felt a bit like, hmm, that feels wonky. But here's the thing. Then we have some really good moments, right? Well, there's a sequence where she's going on several dates, and then there's this whole one about, well, it starts off weird. It's, it's about the whole lying on the profile. And, like, it's just like, oh, yeah, everyone lies. And then that's it. And it's just like, oh, I mean, they don't. And the reason you give, that's not a valid one. So we're just leaving that there. Okay, we're leaving that there. So it's weird. But then I thought, right, there's, there's a bit when she's in bed. And you just see on her face this kind of look of dejection and just disappointment. Well, that was really good. Because in the film, like, Peretti does oftentimes have this weird expression on her face. It was just like, I don't know what the fuck that is. But in this moment, like, you, it was really palpable, the emotions that she's giving off to us. So I thought that was great. Right? And then at the end, the, the whole interaction with Will, I thought that was real nice. Right? The ending... And this is the thing that, um, you know, Andrew talks about. The ending was weird, I thought, because, you know what I mean? Like, look, you can be all about yourself. You can be like, yo, I'm trying to focus on me and I want to do this thing. But it's just like, it doesn't mean that you have to close the door on everything, right? That you can still go... Well, we could see how this might work. Like, we could still have conversation. Like, there were other ways that things could go without a compromise, without um, restricting, like, the things she wanted to do. So I thought that was odd. But it's something that you oftentimes do see when a film is trying to make this bold statement of like, you can be fine on your own. And it's just like, yeah, you can. Right? Kids, marriage, they're not necessary, right, to have a great life. I mean, you could live with someone and never get married. And essentially, it's the same thing, right? You might not want kids. All of these things are all valid. But I just think... To be like, oh, the only way to achieve her her real wish is to not pursue something. Just seemed, I don't know, just seemed a bit like, mm, odd. Like there's other things that you could do. So you could explore them. It doesn't have to, listen, it doesn't have to end on that whole saccharine ending. of, And they all lived happily ever after. But just like. I don't know. Let's see. Right? That's fine too. You know what I mean? And that's what I mean. Where I'm, I'm not quite sure how I feel about the film. But yeah, there are some charming little moments. I really thought that the um, young lady that played Adele, Nadine, N sorry, Nadia Tonin, you know, I thought she was great. I thought she did a really good job 
of having this kind of shy kid that's always trying to, you know, do the things that the grown-ups want to do, you know what I mean? And then just kind of find her own voice slightly and just, you know what I mean? I thought she she handled that very well. So, yeah, there, there are really, there are some good things about this for sure. I didn't think it's a little uneven, but if you are someone that likes films such as, oh God, what are some of the things that I was thinking of? Um, Inner World, right, that one, um, oh, the, the Boy Downstairs. Right. There are a couple of films that kind of come to mind. You know, if you like those, I feel that, uh, yeah, Spinster will most likely work for you. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think it's on all VODs. I watched it on Prime. So there you go, people. Maybe check out Spinster. We've got a great comedy from Lionsgate next. It is a joyride. Okay, so yo, just watch Joyride and god damn man, I've I re <laughs> I really like that film. I really like that film. Yo, I was trying to see this a while back, right? Trying to sort things out with Lionsgate. It didn't actually happen, but just saw it. So it's all good, baby. It's all good, right? It is directed by Adele Lim and written by Teresa Hisu and Cherry Chev Pravatdomong. I butchered that. Sorry, Cherry. Uh, from a story by Lim, you know, it is produced by James Weaver, Seth Rogen, um, Teresa Hisu, Evan Goldberg, Josh Fagan, Cherry Chava Pratt-Domong, and Adele Lim, right? It's executive produced by Dan Clark and associate produced by Jess Tweck. Nathan Matthew David handles the music. Paul Yee, cinematography. Nena Erb edits the piece. Rich Delia handled casting. Michael Norman Wong, production design. Art direction, we've got John Alvarez, Josh Pla, set decoration, and Beverly Rimpf, costume design, right? So, our cast, and boy, this was a fucking great cast, people. We have got, um, actually, let me go here, I feel it's probably laid out in an easier fashion. Okay, so Ashley Park plays Audrey Sullivan, right? Now, Leon Yi 
and Isla Rose Hall played younger versions of um, Park. Sherry Cola is her best friend, Lola Chen, and Belle Zhang and Chloe Poon are the younger versions of Chan. Then there's Stephanie Hoos, who plays Kat Hong, who is Park's college best friend. Um, we've got Sabrina Wu, who is Vanessa, a.k.a. Deadeye, who is Lolo's cousin. All right. We've got Ronnie Chang, who is Chow. Uh, he is uh, someone Ashley is trying to do business with. Her firm are trying to work a deal out with. There's, um, oh, yeah, the, the order is, uh, sorry. God damn, did I say that wrong? I think I said it wrong. Yeah, Audrey's Ashley Park plays Audrey Sullivan. I can't remember if I said I think I might have mixed that up, but yeah, it, that's what that is. Her parents are Joe, played by David Denneman, and Mary, played by Annie Momalu. All right, um, there is Frank, Audrey's Boss, who's played by Timothy Simons. Um, we've got Clarence, who's Kat's fiance, plays by Desmond Cheam. Right? We've got um oh Baron Davis plays a uh kind of uh, like a meta version of himself, a bit like Nick Cage in the um, measurable that great film, right? So it's a you know a similar thing, right? We got Laurie Tan Chin as Nene Lolo's grandmother, uh, one of Baron's teammates, Todd, played by Alexander Hodge, right who used to also date Kat back in the day. There's also Kenny, played by Chris Pang. Arvind, played by Rowan Aurora. Um, Jane, played by Victor Lau. They are also teammates of Baron and Todd's. We've got Lolo's parents. Um, Mum's played by Jenny... Chen. Her dad is played by Wei Chen. Um, and then there's Michelle Choi Lee and uh, Ah, Day Chan, right? Um, Daniel Day Kim, who plays Day Chan. Now, those two, yeah, they're important parts of the film, but not to give too much away, right? And then we've got Jess, a girl that all the friends meet on a train. 
She is played by Meredith Hagner. Right? I feel that is probably most of the people, the, the major people that we meet in the film. The gist is this, right? So, right, it's the hilarious and unapologetically explicit story of identity and self-discovery centering on four unlikely friends who embark on a once-in-a-lifetime international adventure when Audrey's business trip to Asia goes sideways. She enlists the aid of Lolo, her irreverent childhood best friend, who also happens to be a hot mess. Cat, her college friend turned Chinese soap star, and Deadeye, Lolo's eccentric cousin. Their no-holds-barred epic experience becomes a journey of bonding, friendship, belonging, and wild debauchery that reveals the universal truth of what it means to know and love who you are. So I really had no clue what this was, right? It looked like it was a kind of a road trip film. You know what I mean? Something like Girls Trip, you know, one of them ones, right? But it is, I feel it's a lot more. It's a lot more because we're dealing with identity, right? With, um, Oh shit, what's the expression? Identity syndrome? Um, yeah, just, just these different things, right? Belonging, you know, being adrift from your clan, as it were, right? But then understanding that what's the most important thing in life, right? The lies that we tell to try and fit in, right? Trying to be a chameleon, all of these different things, which really fucking resonates, man, really resonates, and then you've got adoption, which was just like, yo, I mean, yeah, that hit me different, right, that hit me different, like, I I feel when you've been adopted, like, there's certain things that you, you might see, and then it just like, yeah, that's fucking true, man, that's so true, right, so there's just all of these different things that elevate this film, elevate this film, you know, like the big, I think, man, it, it's the beginning, the beginning got me, the beginning that from that, I was just like, yeah, I feel I'm going to like this film, man, because we, <laughs> we've got, um, <laughs> yeah, we got, <laughs> Oh, oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> we got Sarah, we got Lolo, little Lolo and her parents, and they're at a park, and there's just, there's no diversity there, right? Then this white couple come up to them, and they're like, oh, are you Chinese? And it's just like, yo, what the fuck? Right? Because you just think, what off-key shit's gonna happen here, right, but they've got an adopted Chinese kid, 
And so, you know, the kids bond and they go to play and they go to play on the swings. I think it's the swings or the slide, right? And a white kid jumps in front of them. He's just like, huh, nah, these aren't for you. Says some things, right? Not cool. And then little Lolo punches him in the face. <laughs> so it's just like, first it's the punch, but then what happens next? Oh man, I'm dying. I'm motherfucking dying, right? So from that, I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna like this film. Because they didn't shy away from, you know, those things that happen when you're little. Little kids can be fucking mean as fuck, right? So they didn't shy away, but then they threw in some funny shit. So it's just like, okay. Then we see like a montage of, um, you know, Lolo and Audrey growing up and, you know, just being friends. Like, eating crisps with chopsticks? I never seen that. That just looks like it's mad difficult. <laughs> you know what I mean? I ain't doing that shit. But we, yeah, we see them, you know, but now they're adults, they're very different. You know, Audrey's like, boom, she's a lawyer. Lolo, she's an artist, right? So you, you've got these different dynamics now. So we just see them, you know, navigating that, right? Audrey works at a law firm where she, she's the only minority, it seems. And, you know, things get said, but you get that typical thing of like, no, 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 no. When I said all of them, I meant this. I wasn't talking about Chinese people, right? Oh, no, 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 I didn't mean, I'm an ally, right? Oh, I did this thing. I do, like, that nonsense that you always hear. So she gets sent to China. She's Chinese, obviously, right? They make an assumption that she can speak Chinese, just all of these different crazy things. So. It is, you know, we, we see all of that. And there's a, there is a funny thing of when we first meet Deadeye, right? The way they kind of put all of that together, because it throws you. It throws, so that was kind of smart. That was clever. That was fun. But yeah, it, it, it's just watching them in these situations. And I mean, there's things that you can see where it's going. Right, the, I think when they got on the train, you knew something crazy was going to happen. Right, there, there, there's certain things. Right after the airport thing, you knew what was most likely to happen. After that, I feel like when you've seen certain films, right? You, I feel you, you know the beats, but it, it's those steps in between the beats, right? It's that percussion, as it were, that really, oh man, brings this shit to life, right? And there's so many funny things in this. There's so many things. I mean, Brownie Tuesday, Brownie fucking Tuesday, right? Oh, like there's certain films that throw in that, that musical number, and it's just like, oh, shit, this is great. Like at the end of 40-Year-Old Virgin or Dan in Real Life, you know, you've got those kind of bits. Uh, and there's just the other films where you've got that musical number and it's just 
funny, funny. And you do not expect to happen what happens at the end of this musical number. Trust me. You don't expect to see what you see. And you kind of think, who the fuck is getting that? <laughs> Who's getting that? Now, I've seen some crazy ass tattoos. So it's not like, yo, no one's ever, because you know that people that have got that and worse. But still, you, you just see it and you're like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck am I seeing here? <laughs> Gold, it's fucking gold, right? Lin Mania, and he's like, Oh, Lin Manuel Miranda, <laughs> you're just like, Oh, shit. <laughs> are you fucking crazy. <laughs> oh, coke in the asshole, just, just like, what the fuck? <laughs> It's like Lolo's artwork, the playground, right? The adult playground. Just, it's just, it's just insane. It's insane. Like Dead Eye, these characters are fun. They're fun, and they feel three dimensional, right? They don't just feel like these caricatures and, you know, there's no depth to them. They all get their little moments to shine, which is nice, which is real nice, you know? So it's just, it's a great film. It's a great film. The, the thing about it too, right? This is Adele Lim's feature directorial debut. It's a feature directorial debut. Which is just like, yo, this is so well put together. You know, so just seeing this, you're like, okay, she's definitely, boom, she's definitely going to be something, right? This is, this, this for your first calling card, boy, this is great. This is fucking great, right? And there's just so many good moments. So many good moments in this fucking film, man. Just when they're in China, at, De at Dead Eyes, uh, you know, spot. Just all of that, the, the whole K-pop thing, you know, the basketball thing. There's just so many good moments. So many good moments that, man, you cannot help but have a whole heap of fun watching this, right? This... This for me, like, man, like when you think about those old films like Euro Trip and, you know, Animal Pie, Animal Pie? It's not Animal Pie. You know, with the, with the pie, that what? American Pie, American Pie, Animal fucking Pie. No, American Pie, right? You just think about those sorts of films, which this is kind of, you know, based on, I this, man, this works for me so much better than those, right? Because I actually really fucking belly laughed on this one. Man, like, if you like stuff like, um, shit, what would I say? 
Ooh. Boy. I mean, like garden. Mm -mm. I mean, garden set. Bottoms. Actually, bottoms is a, a great one. Theater camp. Yeah. Yeah. If you like those films, shortcomings, which, you know, we covered during the 67th PFI London Film Festival last year, people. Yeah. If you like those films, I feel you're going to like Joyride if you haven't already seen it. That's what I think, man. Like, it's a great story first. First things, it's a great story, right? It's really well constructed. The acting's on point. The dialogue is just funny. But also, you know, we're seeing different faces here, right? It's just not that typical film. Right? And I love when you throw in, like, a different cast. You know what I mean? It's just not that typical Hollywood thing. And, yes, people will be like, oh, but they're trying to make it all diverse now. But it's still a bit staged. Still a bit forced and staged. Right? So when you get something as honest and legit as this, it's awesome. It's fucking awesome. And... The Korean aspect of this fucking film, which, as I said, I didn't know this whole adoptive thing was a, a part of this. And so that, fuck, that video, man, but you know what I mean? Like, yo, I, 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 I felt my eyes getting a little damp, ain't gonna lie, that hit me. That fucking hit, just all of that. The graveyard, just that, boom. And the ending's funny. The ending's funny and great. And just the add-on. And you can see there is a possibility to, I feel I've heard that, you know, they're doing a sequel. I might be wrong. But you could see how they could, right? Because it's like a trip. So you just do different trips. You know, and there's different, there's plenty of different scenarios in which you can, you know what I mean? Put in there for more of this. And I'm all about it. All about it, people. I really, really fucking enjoyed this film. So if you're late to the party like me, I'm telling you, don't wait any longer. Don't wait any longer, motherfuckers. Make sure you get some joyride in your life because, boy, it's fucking funny. And you, I guarantee, we will be seeing a lot more of Adele Lim. For sure, we're going to be seeing a lot more of Adele Lim. So don't miss her first join, right? Go check it out. Joyride. It's a motherfucking blast. And our second shutter joint this week is History of Evil. Okay, so coming to Shutter, this week is History of Evil. It is written and directed by Bo Mihozeni, right? It is produced by Babak 
Anvari, uh, Pip Nuke, and Lucan Toe. It's executive produced by Paul Wesley, Jake Siegel, and Maxim Cotre. Associate produced by Miller Cotre, Sid Elabadwa, um, Max Southall, and Ashley Treadaway. And co-produced by Tracy Keller and Brian Sonderman. Paul Corley handles the music, John Peter cinematography, while Anjan Agrama edits the piece. Hunter McHugh handles the casting, Emily Kingston production design, costume design is Gillian Ann Kreena, Hair and makeup, we've got William Spataro, Melissa Stryker, Ashley Treadaway, and Crystal Wells. So our cast. Right, so um Algira. Um, yeah, I've boy. I think that's how you pronounce the name, right? She is played by Jackie Cruz. Her husband, Ron, is played by Paul Wesley. Their daughter, Daria, is played by Murphy Bloom. We then have got uh, Trudy, a.k.a. T, played by Rhonda Johnson-Dents. Um, there's, I believe Darlene's the cop that helps Algier at the start, right? She's played by Tordy Clark. you got Williams, played by Ralph Rodriguez. Danny, played by Zachary Branch. Um, there's Brad, played by Preston Flagg. Uh, Jared, played by Jason Box. Miller, played by Ryan Bagaman. Uh, Johnson, is played by Carl Porter. Uh, and we've also got Trevin Macbeth, um, Dan Winkowski, Nathan Hartley, all doing their thing, along with Victoria Harris. So the gist of the film, in the near future, war and corruption have plagued America and turned it into a... A um, theocratic police state, I feel that's how you say it. Against the oppression, ordinary citizens have formed a group called the Resistance. One such member, Algira Dyer, breaks out of political prison and reunites with her husband, Ron, and daughter, Daria. On the run from the militia, the family takes shelter in a remote safe house. But their journey is far from over. As the house's dark past begins to eat away at Ron and his earnest desire to keep his family safe is overtaken by something much more sinister. Right? This is the... um. Yeah, it's actually the directorial debut from Bo 
Mira Hausini, right? And he has a statement, right? It reads, History of Evil is a deeply personal film that is inspired by my parents' experience during the Iranian Revolution. It always felt like it was in my DNA to make a film that is political. Both of my parents were big activists during the 70s and still advocate for human rights to this day. That inspiration paired with my love of horror felt like the perfect equation to make a horror film that has political themes. For History of Evil, it was critical that audiences understand the fear that Minor, my, the fear that minorities face in this country with the constant shifting of extremism. My main goal was to use that theme in addition with the idea of never feeling safe, especially in your own country, and creating a looping history of past, present, and future storylines to the script. Ultimately, the film is about good and evil forces in our universe, whether they are supernatural or human. I've always been attracted to films that challenge me both intellectually and emotionally. So I hope audiences are able to experience this when watching the film. And yeah, you know, I think you can definitely see what Bo is trying to do with this film, right? It's set in the future, set in the future. And we we do that, that thing that a lot of films do, right? It will start off with a load of text on the screen, which is uh, always very frustrating. Because, you know what I mean? It doesn't stay up long enough to read. It's never big enough. You know, but essentially it's telling us that we're in the year 2045 and the U.S. has now become the North American Federation, right? A fascist state patrolled by roving militia in the name of God and country. Hmm. So, yeah, that is the uh, that is the gist of it. It is funny because I've seen some reviews of this film um, already, right? And uh, they they want to be like, oh, yeah, it might be set in the future, but America have done this before. Listen, every fucking country has done horrendous things. When you try and pretend that your country is perfect and you've never had infractions against human rights, you've never, shut the fuck up, <laughs> like, stop it, stop it, who are we trying to kid, man, everyone's fuckers, you know, but yeah, you know, so that, that's, that's the gist, right, and they're like, and, and normal citizens, but it's like, yeah, but that's the militia as well, they're normal citizens, it's, you know what I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is, but, yeah, so we have this, and then we have, like, a cop. We see a cop. We we're assuming she's a cop, right? And she's driving, gets out of the car, looking around, doing some stuff, comes in, goes into a building, 
gets out, opens the boot. Boom. Algeria dire climbs out. So then you're like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Because while we're watching this, we're hearing a, a, a radio report of, you know what I mean, this escape and of her, you know, colleagues being hung and blah, blah, all of this stuff. So you'd be like, oh, shit. Right. So, boom. Now we see her, her husband, daughter, and T, Trudy, going, fleeing. And, you know, the, the way they choose to do that. All right. So we end up at this house. And I think, you know, with like the title, History of Evil, you wonder what, what's this implying? And I wasn't quite sure. Until you get to the house and, you know, they're navigating around it and you're seeing all of these weird things, like they find a Ku Klux Klan, you know, hood, just other bits and bobs like that. And then you kind of understand, oh, so we're talking about like the history of something, right? That embedded, you know, Oh, like atrocities of a place, all the all the vile things that have happened in this house. And you're like, okay, right. That does make a lot of sense, right? So we're watching this unfold. Now it looks spooky, right? They've done a really good job of, of, of creating this air of oppression, you know. It's this old rundown. It's like a plantation house, you know. That's that's where they are. So you have this already with a house like that. The, the, you know what I mean? There's there's things that come up, right? And it's like, yeah, the water's messy. There's just ooze and mold everywhere. So you're feeling unease, right? You you're feeling like yo what. Where's this story going? What's going to happen? And that, you know, so it's interesting. Now, we then get Ron experiencing these things. And this is where it gets a little bit odd. Because Daria says something to her mum, which is ignored. And I'm saying, if my kid said that thing to me, I'm like, yo, <laughs> okay, what the fuck? What is happening right now? You know what I mean? I'm like, yo, we need to go. <laughs> but it's, it's ignored, right? Which is really frigging odd. Like, there's certain things that happen that aren't really taken seriously. And I kind of think, even if you're not thinking, oh, it could be supernatural, right? You think, I'm beef like, we're in this predicament. We're on the run. There are people who want, you know what I mean? My wife dead, want me dead. So I kind of feel that there would be more that would be happening, right? But it's, but it's not. It's not. So we then have this stuff happening with Ron. And again, 
interesting, right? But he's not talking about it. And I kind of feel you'd be talking about it. You know, there's that. We see him being weird to Algieri. And again, I think, like, we've seen it in certain things, you know, someone's been in jail, they come out, and then it's just like, oh, you've been away, you can't tell me what to do, and this kind of thing. But I feel, because we don't really know how long she's been in jail, right? We don't really know that. So I, I think there's some stuff that you kind of need to know to understand like certain behaviors, right? I think we need that. And the other thing is, it doesn't seem like it takes much to shift Ron, right? doesn't seem to be to, 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 to have much to shift him which is a that's the horror part for me right here with this film right that's the real horror because it's just like because i've been around those people that act like they're you know what i mean cool and then when shit goes south then suddenly the first things out of their mouth are all, all of those, uh, you know what I mean, isms, right? All those big words start getting said. And it's just like, oh, that's the first thing you go to, right? My first thing would be like, yo, you're a piece of shit, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Something like that. But their first thing is the racist shit, right? And, and that's the horror. So, yeah, it, it's a bit odd in that regard. And also, I think there's something that ha happens towards the end which doesn't make any sense because it's not just affecting one person. It'd be affecting everyone, right? So that doesn't make any sense. And then the very end, because you wonder, okay, why didn't it happen to anyone else earlier? You know? So, yeah, I think there's some interesting things happening in this film, for sure. Interesting things happening in this film. And we can see some real promise in what Bo is doing, right? You you get that feel that oh yeah he's and like he understands the these framing devices he understands like a lot of the nature of storytelling but there are just some script issues some story issues that don't necessarily coalesce and. and give you ultimately that fulfilling experience. But it is a good attempt. It is a good attempt. So if you like things like um, quicksand, maybe. Um, ooh, what 
other thing, like maybe from black, right? Yeah, I, I would say it, it's stuff like that. Leave, like tonally, right? She dies tomorrow. Um, yeah, the, 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 there's those sorts of films, you know, that are playing, obviously playing on Shudder. So, yeah, I would definitely say if those work for you, if you enjoy those stories, then I feel, right, I feel the history of evil you will vibe with. You'll, you'll be like, okay, yeah, this is, this is my kind of film, you know what I mean? So, as I mentioned, it is a dropping on Friday the 23rd, so there you go, if you want a little bit of creepiness in your life, then History of Evil is for you. Okay people, so we're done with the reviews. Now, before we close part one, remember, it's a two-part of people, let us take a look and see what's happening in the world of film. Okay, so um, Hilary Swank has recently confirmed she will not be in the next Karate Kid film or Cobra Kai. So if you are hoping it ain't happening, and um. I mean, the next Karate Kid was straight trash. So, really, come on, people. Come on, right? Now, due to the strikes from last year and all of that jazz. <coughs> oh, dear. Sorry, people. Bong Jong Hoi's Mikey 17, which was due to open at the end of March has now been pushed 10 months and will be opening on the 31st of January, 2025. Now, because of that, God, Godzilla Kong, the new empire, is moving to the 29th of March slot, which Mikey vacates. So that you're getting that film two weeks early if you were waiting for it. So, you know, there is that, okay? Now, also, Sergio Leone, right, his epic Once Upon a Time in the West is being brought to us in 4K UHD disc on the 14th of May, right? So it's been restored all of that jazz, um, you know, they've touched up the 35 millimeter technoscope, right? So we're getting all of that goodness, which um, I know a lot of people still do like their physical media. So if you don't have this in your collection, well, you now know that the 14th of May is when you can pick it up. Right, so we're getting a comedy, uh, 
uh, I can't think of the words, people. Basically, Alan Richman and Kevin James are teaming up to make a new film called Play Day. Now, it's being said it's of the tone of Midnight Run, right? We've got a down-on-his-luck dad, Brian, who becomes an unexpected stay-at-home dad to his 10-year-old son after he gets fired from his job. On his first day, he accepts a play day invitation from another stay-at-home dad, Jeff, who turns out to be a loose cannon, resulting in the two men and their sons going on the run after they get involved in a deadly conspiracy. Yeah, I know, people, I know. It sounds stupid, but it could be fun. It is directed by Luke Greensfield um, and written by Neil Goldman, right? Jason Benoit, Mark Ferroso, uh, Jeff Greenstein, and Sean Patrick O'Reilly are going to be producing, okay? So, last year, we heard we're getting a Ferris Bueller's Day Off sequel, right? But it's not quite, well, a spin-off, let's say, right? Because it's not following Ferris or any of the key crew. It's called Victor's, Sam and Victor's Day Off, and it actually follows the um, valets, right? So when um, they leave the car, that's when we jump into this film, right? So that's happening. And now we know David Kratzenberg is going to be directing the film. So uh, yeah, it's actually happened, it would seem, right? I mean, yeah, I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what was gonna, you know, but yeah. And oh, this is actually Kratzenberg's feature directorial debut, right? He's um done a lot of TV, but this will be his first feature film, which, yeah, seems crazy, right? It's being produced by Paul Young, John Horwitz, Hayden Schoolberg, and Josh Herald. So, Next up, like last week, I think it was, we, we said about Tom Cruise's big deal we made with Warner Brothers to, it was not an exclusive deal, right? He can basically make films and stuff for anywhere, but Warner Brothers have hired him to um, make some big time features for them, right? So now we've got the first of these features, Right. Um, actually, it doesn't have a name. What we know is it's being directed by um, Alejandro Gonzalez Inaturi, right? The dude that did The Revenant. Right. So, um, yeah, he's going to be directing. Um, I think he's co writing it as well, along with producing. So, we don't have a story. We don't know what it's about. We don't know what it's called. We just know that we know the director and also his co-writers from Birdman, Sabrina Berman, Alexander 
Dinlands and Nicholas Gabon are um, on the project as too as well. So we imagine they'll be co-writing it. So yeah, that's all we know. It's coming. But you know, his other English language films have been very good. So you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. Now, this is a bit of a bummer, right? Uh, something else that has been was impacted by um the strikes. Well, it was actually finished, but they got to do some reshoots. I'm talking about Ballerina, not that horrible Netflix film. No, this is the John Wick spin-off starring Ana de Armas. Like we thought it was coming this year in June, but it's not. Urgh. It's coming sit for June 2025. Now, Supposedly, yeah, because they've got to do some reshoots. They've got to do some reshoots. And I guess it's all around because Chad Stakeski, right? He's been given stewardship of the John Wick franchise after the Continental was so bad, right? They, they gave him stewardship. So it might be... He wants to flesh some things out. But, yeah, there's reshoots happening. So the film is now coming next year. Now, something else, right? Because um, David Litch dropped out of the, the new iteration of Jurassic Park. Well, people, they've only gone and got Gareth Edwards to step in. Now, Gareth you know, came out the gate with monsters, right? Which was a big, well, it was a monster film. And he did God's, the first Godzilla of the new iteration, right? He recently had the creator. He did Rogue One, which is, God damn it. It's up there for me with Empire Strikes Back, my favorite Star Wars films. So, yeah. I mean, not a bad person to bring in. Now, supposedly it's because he doesn't mind working off someone else's script and not really having any input into the story, which, let's be honest, you then can be like, it's not my fault, it's shit. <laughs> and the last few Jurassics have been shit. So, hey. Good on him. Good on him. Now, this is super intriguing, people. Super intriguing. Because Sammy Mendes, right, he's got a new joint coming. Well, actually, he's got four. Four new films coming. And they're all about the Beatles. Now, <laughs> hold on. Hold on. You're like, what the fuck are you talking four films about the Beatles how is that gonna make any sense well here's the thing it's each film is from the perspective of a different Beatle mm-hmm yes right so it's following their story right it's following their story leading up to the 1970 breakup but from a different point of view, and then they're interlocking, right? So 
it might not be from the same start point, but I imagine there'll be sequences that will be the same, but from slightly different angles and all of that jazz. Now, that sounds really fucking innovative and intriguing to me. So straight away, I want to see what the fuck this is, right? Sam is a great director, but this is an interesting idea. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm intrigued. Now, I'm not a huge Beatles fan, but, yeah, I want to take a look. Supposedly, there's going to be this unique release strategy as well. So, yeah, let us see what goes down. Now, people, in part two, right, in part two of today's episode, we look at the indie film Demise and speak with the writer, director, Yara Estrada Lowe. So make sure you come and check that out. Share with your peoples, right? And I'll see you soon. Peace. Thank you.